HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and I'm delighted to have uh, Keith Schneider return today to talk more uh, from his series, Toxic Terrain, which is available at the new lead. Uh, for those of you who didn't hear uh, Keith's show a few weeks ago, uh, when we talked about um, the implications of uh, cancer clusters from the use of nitrates uh, uh, polluting our water supply, um, Keith uh, edits and reports on the intersection of energy, food, water, and resources from across the United States and around the world. He is a former national correspondent and a regular contributor to the New York Times. Keith also reports for The Guardian, ProPublica, National Geographic, Energy News Network, Manga Bay, one of my favorites, The New Lead, and Circle of Blue. Uh, and Circle of Blue's Choke Point Project uh, is a, a series of reports by Keith focused on Australia, India, Mexico, Mongolia, Panama, Peru, Qatar, South Africa, and the United States, and he won the Rockefeller Foundation's $100,000 Centennial Innovation Award. Way to go, Keith. I'm sure I said that last time, but you know, whenever I see somebody winning serious money, I got to give them the big props for it. <laughs> um, Keith's other major prizes include two George Polk Awards for Environmental and National Reporting, and the New York Times nominated him for a Pulitzer Prize in National Reporting on uncovering the deteriorated condition of the U.S. nuclear weapons production plants. I feel certain that I read that. I think it was yes. a series, wasn't it, Keith? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I read that. When was that? It was about five years ago or something, wasn't it? Nuclear weapons? Yeah. Oh. Or was it way back in the time machine? <laughs> 88 to 90, 88 to 90, 91. Amazing. Oh, well then, it was an amazing series. Amazing series that had a lot, of, lot of positive consequences. I'm trying to wonder, remember whether, because I don't think I did read that. I think, cause I wasn't, I wasn't particularly woke at that time in my life. Um, I was more invested in like being married and having a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Something came out though, after that, when I was paying attention, 
<laughs> that really scared the bejesus out of me. So maybe I should go back and dig that series up just to just to chill my blood even further. But let us get on with the with the program here. We are talking today about biodigesters, um, a subject which I'm fascinated by and which is suddenly getting this big boost, uh, both from the feds and from private enterprise. Um, so you wrote a piece on November, that published November 3rd in the new lead, which said, um, suggested that biodigesters, which are being heavily promoted as the answer to our animal agriculture pollution woes, are not actually, in fact, the magic bullet that they uh, purport to be. And before we get into why that may or may not be the magic bullet, I think you should, uh, I think it behooves you to explain what a biodigester does and kind of give us the backstory because it's not new technology. And it was promoted quite heavily in the 90s by the Clinton administration. So it's got a history. And I, I want you to just kind of quickly buzz through that so people have an idea of where we are now compared to where we were then. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Katie, for oh, you're welcome. Wel welcoming me back again. Um, the the um, technology, the practice of gaining some sort of flammable gas from organic waste has been known for centuries, centuries. It, I mean, it's old. Uh, Scientists and farmers for you know two hundred years have known if you put a pile of dung in a in a barn, and you direct uh, the the emissions into a pipe, you can actually use that gas, light it, and use it. So what it produces is natural gas, methane. So there's right. nothing new about it. What what agriculture has been able to do, and what wastewater treatments plants have been able to do, and what any kind of you know food processing plants that produce a lot of organic waste have been able to do is to corral. You know, put all that stuff into a kettle, essentially a warm yeah. broth of bacteria under oxygen-deprived conditions called anaerobic. Right. You put it into a, into a closed system, and you let it cook for a while. And as it cooks, it releases methane. And um, you know, industrial pla industrial plants have been able to collect it and direct it into mostly until now, mostly into electricity generators, into you know methane uh, fuel generators to produce electricity. Right. So. Yeah, the Oakland Wastewater Treatment Plant, one of the largest wastewater treatment plants in the country, has been doing this for years, taking their organic waste from their food processing waste, other waste, cooking it in these big vats and directing it into generators that produce about five or six megawatts of electricity that run the plant there and also can uh, uh, put the excess into the grid. So this has been going on a long time. And the Clinton administration in 1993 encouraged this, uh, you know, was the first to encourage this with some, with some incentives to encourage farmers to build uh, biodigesters. And in, in the early 2000s, under the 2012 uh, Farm Bill, uh, Congress put more money into it, into a program called EQIP, which is part of their conservation sure. program. And farmers were eligible for up to $450,000 grants to build biodigesters. So here in Michigan, where, I, where I'm based and live, uh, during that period from 2012 to about 2018, somewhere in there, we built seven biodigesters on farms and almost all of them were used to generate electricity, put them into, put it into. So generators for electricity. What's happened in the last two, what's happened maybe over the last decade, but principally were two important changes in the system. One is, California identified methane as a really important uh, climate change gas that they wanted to reduce. And they put it to, they began a program to pay carbon credits. Now, uh, this is a complicated, let's just say that carbon credit was worth about at the time $200 for uh, a million BTUs of methane. Uh -huh. uh, 
uh, $200 per million BTUs. BTU. And that credit, that credit is now worth $60. But anyway. Really? It, yes, they're worth $60, which is still quite, you know, it's, 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 it's important. Because if I'm we a have, farmer, I can, I can definitely make some money off of that. Well, you're not, well, here in Michigan, the farmers aren't making the money on it. And that's the change. I mean, it's, it's the developers uh, who make the money. Uh-huh. Farmers are getting paid for the manure. Their, their revenue comes in this state from the manure, and they have different kinds of, kinds of contracts around the country around this. But anyway, um, uh, California agreed to try to reduce its methane emissions into the atmosphere by going after the dairies. Now, agriculture is the largest source of methane in the country, Sure, more, more than natural gas. And it comes from two sources in agriculture. It comes from manure, and it comes from Burton and Farton uh, cows. Now here's right. the key. Here's the key. Only thirty percent of the manure the, of the methane that's capturable is what's in the manure. Yeah, you right. Know, there, there is no science or not perfected science to reduce farting and burping in cows yet. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Right. But yeah, I so, mean that is an important distinction to make. Really important distinction. So California decides it's going to go after that thirty percent of manure production out of agriculture, and dairy farms are the biggest source of it. In California, they got really big. They got 1.7 million cows out there and a whole bunch of dairy farms in there, gigundus. And so California has put in $250 million, roughly, of its own money and and matching grants. And there are 131 biodigesters that have been built in California. And and yesterday, the LA Times, Tony Briscoe, wrote this really really important piece about how much air pollution those digesters are now causing because... A, that they produce hydrogen sulfide, they produce not nitrogen oxide. Both of those are particulate generators for air pollution. So the, the, the communities near those biodigesters are being harmed by, by really toxic air pollution. But can I, let me stop you there for a second, because that those are the two, and ammonia being a third gas that is generated just from pits of raw sewage. Right. I mean, we have this problem already, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's fascinating to me that the biodigesters are not are able to release those uh, VOCs with impunity um, when everybody is all up in arms about the open pits, which generate exactly the same products plus ammonia. So yeah, and I'm not familiar with with the air regulations in California. I am right. familiar with them here in in the Corn Belt and in Upper Midwest, and they're not regulated the same. A digest the same equipment attached to a food processing plant, attached to a wastewater treatment plant is heavily regulated, both on its discharges, right? The digestate that comes out of it and the air and the air emissions. Okay. (laughs) But, but attach that same equipment on a, on an agricultural operation. And they're much, much less rigorously regulated in air and regulations. Once the digestate leaves the digester, the spreading, the, the manure spreading, the digestate spreading in this state and others is essentially, uh, you know, it's let's just say it's loosely regulated. It's okay, and it's causing all kinds of pollution here. So, so now the second piece of this in 2022, the Biden administration and Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act, right, which included 300 plus billion dollars in incentives and and tax breaks and all kinds of grants, direct grants to reduce greenhouse gases. Well, half of that went into quote unquote renewable fuels. So that was wind and that was solar and that's geothermal, but it also was agriculture and it also was tens of billions of dollars for manure as a fuel Uh source 
for methane, right? For, right. for to, to produce methane. Which seems uh, like a great idea, Keith. Come on now. Like, well, doesn't that seem like a better use of it than just spreading raw sewage onto fields? Well, it it would if it was regulated, like they do in in, in <laughs> right. China, rub, and, it, right? and it's it's a it represents a really important potential to to stem the tide of manure waste from major livestock operations and poultry operations. It's, it and and that's what's happening in Germany. It's very heavily regulated, and in China and in China as well. But here, it's not heavily regulated. So. It, Right. So, so you have what goes into the digester basically comes out, but it comes. It's not. It's not manure. It's not. It has different chemical constituencies, and that digestate has more concentrated forms of phosphorus, more concentrated forms of nitrogen. Both of them major, major water polluters right. in our state and across the Corn Belt. I mean, that's the cause of the harmful algal blooms, the toxic algae blooms in Lake Erie every year. Right. And the uh, Gulf Zone, the dead zone in the Gulf uh, of Mexico. And the, Ch- and the Chesapeake. And, it's, and the Chesapeake, you know, right. And, and, it, and it's killing porpoises. I mean, not porpoises, walruses, not walruses. Sea lions on the West Coast. Thank you. Lake, <laughs> I knew you'd get there. <laughs> Lake Okeechobee. I mean, you know, yeah. it's it's causing a mess out here. I mean, it is. It totally the, is. It's it's caused it's caused very very substantial nitrate pollution in Minnesota that the EPA yeah. just directed the state to deal with it after you know as an imminent harm. Wow. And so you have you have this potential to do really good and stem a major source of pollution, water pollution in the United States. Right. Un- unregulated. It could and is likely to make it worse because of the spreading. That the fact that the, that you can spread that stuff with virtually no regulation. They'll say it's regulated, but it's not. I mean, it's, it, it right. doesn't work. What's, well, it's it's, it's regulated as much as the current regulations dictate how farmers spread raw sewage from their hog par- farm or their cow. Right, it's it's, the same. they treat it exactly just, the same. Right, and it's agriculture exactly in general has very few regulations about pollution or around pollution in any case, very virtually none around uh, air pollution and well, very the, little around spreading their manure. So, so you know that, and we've talked about this, American agriculture is a very impressive industry, very it technically is. adept, you know, scientifically capable, highly researched, the equipment involved. I mean, the machines that are needed to do this, the, 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 the amount of calories it produces. And now it's being looked at as a major source of energy because of the climate the climate provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act. So, right, right. so the industry is rich and capable. Right, right. right. But, so but, let's but, talk about the, the powwow at the University of Iowa, because that's <laughs> that's sort of the next step on this. It was co-sponsored not only by the University of Iowa, but by the EPA and the USDA. So, and, and Chevron. And, and Chevron. Chevron. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, so, and you had all of these professors from the University of Agriculture, Agricultural, you know, Extension or whatever it is, gushing about how great this was. Talk Farmers a little bit about and, who the players were and, and what they're talking about. Yeah, so so you had 200 plus people from all over the country, big, big regula- regulatory presence. There were people there from the Michigan Department of Environment of Great Lakes and Energy. There were, Farmers were there, financiers were there. And basically they were making a case that this represents a, you know, a potentially enormous monumental breakthrough for agriculture. Because as you say, you can, t- you know, you can produce, you can institutionalize, make more structurally sound this whole system of large livestock farms, which are right. producing this mountain of manure, liquid manure. Well, let's, point, let's actually get point. granular about that because I want yeah. people to understand what we're talking about. We're not talking about like a few 
I mean, the amount of waste from a, you know, hog farm is like the equivalent of a city of 25 million. I mean, it can oh, be yeah. really, so let's, let's, can you got any pounds, like tons for us? Yeah. What happens? The, the USDA, know? the USDA, most, most uh, credible number about how much waste we're putting, how much manure there is in the United States is 1.4 billion tons. Right. And this is untreated waste, people. Totally. Un- I mean, just, 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 I mean, just spread. I mean, it's 10 times as much waste, more than 10 times as much waste as people. For instance, right. Chris Jones was a researcher in at Iowa once did this calculation about how many animals were in Iowa. There's like oh, yeah, produce, right. producing, there's 138 million animals and they produce as much waste as like the third largest country in the world. You know? That's right. Just, I mean, think about know, that. And in Iowa. Going- Right, exactly, yeah. and that's going spreading out on our fields. No wonder the water is so polluted, right? Well, Iowa, Iowa has the worst water quality in the country, yeah. and there's finally a state representative that's running for office on a water quality uh, platform. I would think so, so. but <laughs> it's it's all. Th- I mean, it's here in the Great Lakes, and it's all through the Corn Belt. So sure. So you have this that system of agriculture of livestock of making of milk and meat production in the United States is principally done in these enormous factory farms. Where right. thousands and thousands and thousands of animals are concentrated indoors and their wastes are collected, liquefied and stored. And that was it's been an enormous problem in the, in the in the industry. I mean, they know how vulnerable they are on this. Oh, yeah. And so they're bringing biodigesters and these are 20 million dollar machines, you know, yes. two million gallon tanks um, that that process, you know, collect the liquids, process it, put it into a pipeline. And they're all eligible for these. California credits, which are worth $60 a, a, a million BTUs. Well, uh-huh. you know, we have a farm, we have a farm that has two biodigesters here in Michigan. It has 138,000 million BTUs, 138,000 times 60 is what, what is that? That's uh, eight. Don't million, ask me to do math, man, but it's eight, a lot. Eight, worth 8 million bucks a year. And that's why, <laughs> yeah. they, that's why they're being built. Not too they, shabby. And Chevron is the builder. You know, Chevron has right. now six biodigesters that they've built here in the last in the last two years. It's, Michigan is now the most um, largest center of biodigester industrial biodigester development in the country outside of California because they can get the California credits and there's a lot of other money to build these things and operate them that's publicly financed. Michigan itself just passed a big clean energy program in which they have $50 million available for clean energy development. And some of that money, we know some of that money, our big utility here, consumers got $5 million to build an industrial biodigester on the West side here um, just last year. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's the the conversion, the alliance between big ag and big government over biodigesters will make your head spin because it's not unless it's regulated. It will not produce the environmental benefits that its that its developers assure the public is happening, and that was what was happening in at Iowa State. They, they have to remember, not, right? They were, they were not demanding regulations. They were just no, full speed ahead. They Let's took, make this happen. There was maybe maybe you know two peeps about concerns and risks, and it was <laughs> it, it was. It was really interesting to me, Katie, about being there. You know, I had this in, immense feeling that I was watching. I felt like what it must have been like in a room in like 1962 when the Atomic Energy Commission met with the cons- with the big utilities to talk about nuclear power. That's right. what I felt like. Wow. And I felt that way because it's Iowa State. 
Iowa State has been the developer and researcher of every facet of industrial agriculture, yes. from the genetics to the equipment, right? All the way yes. through the system, field testing and all. Iowa State is to industrial agriculture what Los, Alam what Los Alamos National Laboratory is to nuclear development. And I, yeah. feel, I had this amazing feeling of watching this industrial um, uh, uh, genesis, right? Right in front of me with yeah. all these players. And, and none of them were talking about the risks. None of them were talking about the risks, where the risks are, the risks are profound if it's not regulated. Right, right. Well, let's take a short break here. And we'll come right back with Keith Schneider talking more about this fantastic new technology that may not be as fantastic as it looks. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Okay, so if we're building biodigesters at a great rate and we are not regulating them, first of all, let me just say this. To me, the idea, and I want to disclose to the audience, I own stock in a biodigester company, which I bought 13 years ago when this was like a like nobody was talking about this. But I interviewed these guys and I thought they were really credible and I thought their company sounded great. And they had this whole closed loop thing, blah, blah, blah. They have a bunch of patents. I still haven't made a million dollars, people, but hope springs eternal. So my idea, what my thought when I was talking to these guys is that if biodigesters can render animal waste more or less anodyne and produce energy and income, what are the downsides to this? And you started by, by talking earlier in the show about how the manure, the phosphorus and the nitrates become more concentrated in the manure once it goes through a biodigester. But what about the downsides to using methane and also about the VOCs that you were alluding to before? Let's, let's break down what the, what the real downsides are to this before people get too excited and go out and buy stock in them. <laughs> well, what, well, one thing, one thing is, is if manure becomes the profit center for livestock agriculture and energy becomes, you know, the, 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 the revenue source, it's going to make these livestock operations bigger. Much that bigger. is true. But I, I, so, I so see that have, as happening anyway. We, yeah. Well, we have manure. I, one, there will be more manure. There could be more manure, right? So oh, yeah. yeah. Two, methane, the methane that's, that the biodigester captures is, you know, a, a, a fraction potentially a fraction of, of the total methane that escapes from a large livestock operation. Well, that's it's, true. It's still escaping through the, through the, through the lagoons, through the process itself, through the pipelines. So there's not really, really much methane going in here. Like, I mean, even the EPA says the amount of energy that can be captured from all this is like 1% of the amount of methane that we use, natural gas that we use in this country. Jesus. So it's a, what, what this really is, is a major taxpayer 
which subsidized, you know, shifting of taxpayer funds into this industry to benefit big farms and now big energy companies. That's what we're talking about. Well, it's also it's also interesting from the point of view is as we ramp down from gas in cars and other fossil fuel fuel usage that they're they're hedging their bets by ramping this up, right? I mean, isn't well, that they, what we're seeing well, here? Is well, a, they're, they're, they're also you know these big companies are also trying to preserve their their infrastructure. Chevron's got sure. a huge gas infrastructure and processing infrastructure. Mm. The, the longer that they can continue to process methane, calling it you know sustainable or renewable or clean. It's the longer they can keep that infrastructure operating. So that's another piece of this. Yeah, let me, right. Let me, let me just get you one little piece here in Michigan Please. that's really interesting. We have Chevron and its subsidiary, Brightmark, have, have a farm, two farms actually, on the west side of Michigan that have a contract with a wastewater treatment facility in Muskegon County, which is south of Traverse City between Grand Rapids and Traverse City. It's mm-hmm. on the west side of Michigan. Have a contract to treat 300,000 gallons of digest date daily, daily from one of their digesters on the west side. And so the, 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 the state has put $50 million into a sewage pipeline 20 miles long between a town, Cooperville, a couple food milk products processing companies uh-huh. to, to the Muskegon County Resource Recovery Center. This is the wastewater treatment plant. Got it. And Brightmark is going to tie in its Applegate digester, that Applegate farm, into this pipeline. And it's going to cost them $1,000 a day when it's all finished. And that's going to happen later this year when the pipeline is finished. Now, if that, if, if Brightmark adheres to the contractual agreement, that will make that digester the cleanest in terms of water quality of any digester in the country. So in Michigan, we have the potential to actually set a new standard of safety for water quality around biodigesters. Cool. And they're they're doing this because they don't have enough land down there to treat all this biodigestate, and it may work out to be cheaper to treat it, you know, in a in, ship it and treat it in a wastewater treatment plant. So right. when the when the industry says they can't ha- they can't do anything else than what they're doing, spreading this stuff on the land. We can now say, wait a second. In Michigan, you have you have a, a digester, a big one, that's that's treating its digestate the way you would treat human sewage or any other organic right. waste that that are required. Same same equipment on that digester that is going to be treated the same as as the equipment on a wastewater treatment plant for digestate. So that's a really important potential breakthrough that, that could occur that could become a national you know a national uh, state stature of national well it becomes stature, national, national standard, standard only insofar as other states uh follow any sort of regulatory platform that says you have to put it through xyz process and you cannot be you know offloading or off gassing whatever you know hydrous hydrous sulfide hydrogen sulfide and and uh nitrous oxide right but it's a it's a it's it's an important potential you know state for sure national it, i mean to have an example yeah right, i would agree it's really yeah. really important and i think there it's are great. a lot well these digesters the other thing about these digesters that are happening for instance in iowa there's givo is a company that has three big dairies mm-hmm. and they're and they're in a region right but they've tied all those dairies into a central dot digester just located sort of equidistant between them so if they can pump digest die the liquid manure into a digester that's miles and miles away that means that they can also pump the digestate into a into a, a neighboring you know pocket treatment plant to right. treat the waste right so the industry 
which has been publicly funded, right? Principally yeah. publicly funded, has a public op- uh, obligation, in my view, to be accountable and responsible for its waste streams. Sure. Right? And the other side of that is if they don't, something's going to happen here. There's going to be some sort of a, a, of a, a an insult, a disruption, a, a disaster. I don't know. But this, this, this is getting so big, right? There's so yeah. much pollution. And this is going to make it worse if it's not regulated because the phosphorus and the nitrates are more mobile in the environment than in manure. I mean, uh-huh. it, it, it's it's potential for a for a lawsuit to be brought against digester companies by some smart lawyers under a class action suit that says digestate is not manure; it's a toxic waste. It's a hazardous <laughs> waste and right. needs to be regulated under RICRA. Now that's happened among dairies that have polluted uh, groundwater in Yakima Valley. And they were forced to clean up under the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, which is the hazardous waste law. Right. Well, dig- digestate, you could argue digestate is not manure. It's a hazardous waste. It sure. can't be treated the same as manure because its chemicals, its chemical constituents have been changed by the heating process. Uh-huh. Very interesting. So now, so we've talked a little bit about how big ag and big oil are going to get into bed and they're going to make a ton of money off of this. But the mm-hmm. second interesting part to me is and I've you know I follow the trades for the cattle for the industry now for the meat industry and I have done for many years, and there are any number of uh, efforts underway to reduce what is politely called the gastroenteric emissions of mm-hmm. uh, livestock, particularly specifically cattle, and it ranges from the ultra simple like feeding them seaweed to uh, fancier uh, remedies like uh, altering their genetics slightly, uh, changing the feed composition, which seems pretty simple. Um, You know, various uh, schemes have come forward uh, to try to reduce the methane emissions from cows. And Mm -hmm. somehow none of that has become widely um, adopted. Why do you suppose that is? Is it because there's no profit in doing it? No, because the science of it and the research is in its infancy. You know, I mean, that to have it be widely widely studied. Michigan State University, one of the great land grants in the in the, in 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 the country. You know, I spoke to the the uh, head of their anaerobic digestion research center. You know, and he, I asked him the same question. He says, "We're just not. You know, we don't have the science that they can really? widely widely apply it. Yeah, because it involves, like you said, so many different. You have to adjust so many different things for your animals in order for them to have less." Farting and burping and all that. So, the, the, <laughs> well, the, I mean, well, you have to you have to be able to prove it. You have to say it's safe to your animals, right? Right. You have to say it's as productive. You know that that they're not going to lose productivity. They don't want to lose any productivity. What is it going to do to the longevity of the herd? You know, all of that needs to be. That's and they're minimum ten years away from that. Minimum. Really. What he, what he told me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, because I mean, honestly, this all of these articles come out periodically, like probably three or four a year, saying, "Oh, we're on the verge of a breakthrough. We're, you know, feeding your cattle seaweed is going to reduce your methane emissions." All right, so then you have, to, if that's true, then you have to, you, you have to get us. I mean, we got a lot of cattle in this country. Yeah, we do. You, you better get a really good, you know, supply of seaweed. I mean, you have to, <laughs> all of, you know, the, the the production part on just the feed has to change, and this feed, that you know, is these a big feed, deal. The feed mills, you know, the feed mills is a feeding is a big, big piece. And if you're going to talk about changing the genetics of the plants that they're eating, you know, that's a whole. <laughs> we're talking about millions and millions and millions of acres of of feed. We're talking about, you know, how many 
I have no idea how many tons of feed is needed just to kid, just to feed the cattle herd, the dairy herd in this country. Yeah. I've been talking about chickens and hogs and all the rest. Right, right. I'm, agriculture's, agriculture's mammoth. I mean, it's a mammoth industry. And yeah. it's, you know, it's great. It's great um, public services that it feeds us. We, nobody has to worry about where their food supply is coming from at this point. But my view is that 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 the that the industry is becoming so concentrated in such fewer and fewer hands that the, the potential, the fragility of the structure of the system, I think, is just shaky. I mean, it's so vulnerable to any number of natural ins, in, insults: drought, flood, right, disease. Yeah, I mean, avian flu is making a big comeback, for example. And, you know, nobody hears about that, but that is what's going on right now. I mean, millions and millions of chickens being killed. And there's a pandemic in the hog industry. It's called PERS. And it's the reason that the hog industry is moving out of Iowa into North Dakota. And the reason that the Farm Bureau is so busy, you know, trying to uh, eliminate local control, local oversight of of agriculture, which still exists in several states. So, uh, you know... it's just been fascinating in the last two years to study this industry, to understand its immensity, its its sophistication, its ability to move politics and policy and money. And I mean, it's global. We're, you know, we, we, we export so much of what we produce in this country. And now this big shift into energy production. So the, the yeah. Inflation Reduction Act pushing agriculture to be an energy supplier. And we have big oil, big government and big ag coming together to produce energy for airlines, you know, aviation fuel and and, right. and methane from manure and ethanol, more ethanol from corn. From and, corn, right. And we have, we have money in the inf- infrastructure law that was passed in 2021 for sequestering carbon, right? And some of that carbon is coming out of these ethanol refineries. So they're saving the ethanol industry from the diminution in, in uh, use of gasoline, right? Fuels yes. for transportation because we're going electric. I mean, so the a- agriculture industry is being reshaped by government to, you know, take up new markets. And, and but nobody, you know, Katie, nobody has taken a look at the environmental consequences. Now, there's a, this is a really important point. The yeah. National Environmental Policy Act, which is probably the most important environmental law we have, requires a full environmental assessment, an environmental impact statement on any major federal action that has potential to affect the environment, right? Wow. What, what happened, that's what, that's what is required, and there's been none, zip. No environmental impact statement, no environmental assessment for moving agriculture into energy production. No. Right. And, Fascinating. And, the, and we're consequences of that. And we've just discussed it in terms of biodigestion. What yeah. about in terms of ethanol? We're going to be adding five, six million more acres of corn to increase our ethanol production, right? Right. That's going into highly erodible acres. I mean, Kansas, which used to be a big wheat producer, is now producing corn on its erodible soil in order to take advantage of making, of producing ethanol for sustainable aviation fuel. We want 35 billion gallons more of of ethanol produced in this country now. That's more than twice as much as we're already producing. And it's going to come from the... For, yes, it's coming from the Inflation Reduction Act's subsidies and incentives to, for ethanol to make more corn to produce more ethanol. No, there has been no environmental impact statement on what I, I argue is one of the most important changes, shifts 
in production and agriculture in I don't know forty years maybe. Oh, and at nothing, least nothing. I mean, nothing this is said on the about scale it. of of adding you know mechanization to agriculture. I I I think it's at that level. I think it's. I, I, mean, I, I agree. It's with like, you. It's, I like mean, this... it's like the cotton gin. You know, I mean, it's crazy. Yes, it is. I mean, I think you were absolutely right. You were sitting in on you know, the next wave of what agriculture is going to become. Now, before we go, uh, Keith, let's just review, because you mentioned that Germany has uh, invested heavily in this, but with regulatory uh, oversight. What does that look like? And and uh, how far are we from ever <laughs> adopting any sort of sensible regulations around this, pro- this uh, technology? Well, I met a, a scientist from a Lawrence Berkeley laboratory in California who was at this uh, um, conference in Iowa, mm-hmm. Iowa, at Iowa State. And he told me about, he knows a lot about the German system. There are 10,000 manure biodigesters bio in Germany now. We have 323. So we're a long way from wow. there. And I said, well, what's what's happening with the water? He said, well, dude, man, we, we, they're regulated. They're heavily regulated. Where you put the digester, how you how you operate the digester, what kind of air emissions are coming out of the digesters, and certainly mm-hmm. what you're doing with the digestate waste. Because if they have 10,000 digesters in, in Germany and they treated digest digestate the way we do, right. they, they would wreck their water. I mean, it's a much smaller country. For sure, country it's a small country. So that's what they do. I mean, in, in China requires its its big livestock agriculture operations to treat their waste, like like in a wastewater treatment plant, right? And what they're digesting, they also you know, so they treat the digesting the same way they treat the manure. They may, they require it to be to be treated and and disposed of safely. Mm-hmm. We and we we're just doing a whole different thing. And 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 agriculture is so averse to any regulatory oversight. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not only not only in environment, but just in their business. I mean, we've we've relaxed our antitrust uh, rules in this country so far that you know we have four companies that basically control all the meat meat production, yes. and that's right, poultry, Absolutely. hogs, and 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 cattle. And cattle. Yeah, and wait, and and that's going to happen in dairy too. It's slowly happening. It's in dairy already too. happened in dairy. I mean, basically, Dairy Farmers of America controls, I'd say, sixty to seventy percent of the dairy production in this country already. Well, there you go. I mean, and that's that and would... that's why dairy farmers can't make a buck. Right, so, so they've they've, el- they've eliminated competition in in yeah. in the agriculture. So you can't be a small farmer anymore and and compete unless you're doing it organically and you have some. If if you're a livestock producer in some, you know, some slaughterhouse that's operating in your region, but it's right. very hard for an independent hog producer, for in- instance, to be able to sell hogs into oh, yeah. Smith Seal's system because they don't want their hogs; they want their no, own hogs. Of course, yeah. So. I- <laughs> I'm just saying that this industry, which is so rich and capable, also is also like any other major technologically capable industry in this country ought to be regulated. And they're not. And and we right. need to look at the health and environmental consequences of what we're doing right now in agriculture and shifting agriculture and energy production. That's yeah. clear to me. Absolutely. I mean, before we start releasing uh, even more of the... Uh, VOCs like nitrous oxide and hydrogen sulfide. I mean, and, and, and concentrated yeah. nitrogen and phosphorus yeah, in your digestate. Right. You, uh, right. you know where you have a liquid waste that's not a manure. It's a, it's a hazardous waste now. Right, I mean, that's right. what it is. Really intense. Great story, Keith. I really enjoyed reading it. I'm going to read up more on this stuff, and we'll have another conversation about it. When yeah, you let's do, your do next it. Piece. Absolutely. <laughs> um, can people find your work at a website, or yes. how, how do we find right. you? Well, if they By the type way, I in, couldn't find your website. 
Keyshner, if you just type in Keyshner, comma toxic terrain, you'll see oh, all the pieces. Okay. They're all they're they're collected at the new lead. They're collected at Circle of Blue, and I have a a number of other nonprofit public interest news sites. Min Post and Investigate Midwest. Guardian has done some. Oh of these yeah, I pieces. love Investigate Midwest. Yeah, and I put one of these pieces into the New York Times in April. So. Yeah, I saw that when I was Googling you looking for your website. (laughs) Thank you so much, Keith. Let's keep this conversation going. It's a lot of fun. You're great to talk to and very knowledgeable. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you, And I appreciate your work even more. So um, thanks, as always, to our sponsors for supporting this radio station. We'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for tuning in today. What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.